Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Tightline Outdoors is Nate Zielinski. Nate, feels like I haven't talked to you in a month. It's been crazy. I've been missing you. Yeah, I know. Well, we had uh, we had that storm. They canceled the show, and then we had. Uh, I guess there was a there's a basketball tournament going on. Somebody said I heard about that, and 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 it's been tough. But we are back, and I know with this weather change, especially, we're going to get we're coming off the cold. We're going to get three days of really nice warm weather, a couple cool ones, and then we're going to hit a real warm streak. We've got the moon cycles. I would think the Metro Lakes especially should be just ripe for walleyes. Absolutely, Terry. You know, the, this moon here is a big one for us. Obviously, the, the front range is open, uh, you know, especially the big kind of the bigger two of Cherry Creek and Chatfield be open, just primary walleye fishers right here on the front range. And, and with that, that big moon just gets everything fired up. And, you know, it, it's neat. We've been talking to a lot of anglers, um, some doing very well, some struggling. So I, I want to walk everybody through kind of what the walleyes are doing um, and for those struggling to, to try to, you know, really – dial in to, to create that success so you know right now we are in the the prime walleye spawn on the front range so no matter where your walleye fisheries are you know for the most part other than maybe some of the colder water stuff like aurora or horse tooth uh carter you know your, your main your boys your chapter Cherry creek pueblo we're we're in the peak of the spawn right now so those walleyes are anywhere where they're going to have those spawning grounds so the dam faces are are a major spawning spot any inflow coming in so your river inlet um, if they have minimal flow, the fish won't stack there. If they have a lot of flow or decent flow, the walleyes will stack there. Uh, so those are kind of the spawning sites, but it's rare for our fish to stay in the spawning sites during the day. So most of our fish retract, uh, and they pull out to deeper water and they kind of hang out and the most of the spawning is happening at night. Now you talk to anglers and, and Terry, so many of us and so many of the anglers that we're talking to, their cycles associate to when the lakes open. Uh, and generally speaking, when they, they refer to open, they talk about open for boating. So, you know, Chatfield Cherry Creek opened on the 19th um, and everybody rushed to the waters. They went out fishing and they're like, man, it's ice off. You know, we should be pounding these walleyes. They should be, you know, super aggressive. And the walleyes don't know when the lake's going to open for boating. They don't know when, when the public's going to hit it. They go by nature. They go by natural cycles. Um, so we saw our major pre-spawn of walleyes in early March. Um, when we opened for boating, you know, that March 19th, that March 20th, uh, a good portion of our walleyes were in the spawning phase. And honestly, Terry, you know how this is. Every year we get different cycles of spawn. And honestly, the last two or three years, I would say that our fish were fairly we'll call it non-group. They were kind of, you know, we had at any given time, you'd have, you know, 30-some percent of your fish in pre-spawn, 30-some percent of your fish in spawn, 30-some percent of your fish in post-spawn. And they were really staggered out. So your anglers could go out there and given your talent level or, or how you like to fish, you could find active fish, you know, doing a variety of techniques. 
This year, honestly, Terry, a lot of our fish are fairly grouped up. So we have a massive population of our fish in that spawn mode. So we've kind of faded out of the pre-spawn. We're heavy on spawn. um, And we're already starting to see quite a few post-spawn fish. Um, So with that, you just have to cater these fish a little more. You have to understand those cycles. So you look at, at your daytime fishing. So your daytime fishing, you have a lot of fish sitting in deeper water out in front of your spawn sites, kind of staging, getting ready to move in and out for the spawn um those fish are very catchable the biggest thing is you have to cater to them um you know they're not aggressive at all their primary focus is spawning so when we're fishing for them it's a slower cadence and it is beyond priority to put the bait in their face you have to cater them put that bait right in front of them and you're going to catch those fish now if you have post-spawn fish they're feeding far more aggressively. Um, they want the easiest meal possible, though, just because they're a little low on energy from that spawning. So you look at a post-spawn fish, um, say Cherry Creek, for example. They're on mudflats eating larvae, eating worms. They'll do that for about about the first you know, two weeks, say 10 days um, of the post-spawn period. Once they regain some weight, regain some energy, then they start moving back to their traditional diet, which would be gizzard shad, you know, small perch, bluegill, crappie, that kind of thing. Uh, but the first phase of the post-spawn is going to be in mud, on those bloodworms, on that larva. Um, so that's a key thing. So, you know, we talk about Cherry Creek. Everybody knows there's a lead core bite, but not that many anglers understand why. And that's why. Those fish are sitting on mud, feeding on those larvae, feeding on those bloodworms, feeding on a, a high-protein, easy-to-catch meal. So Cherry Creek, your goal, grab lead core, find that mud flat, pretty much the whole middle of the lake, um, and you're trolling at a very consistent speed, literally inches off bottom. And that's where those, those post-spawn fish uh, and any of the last remaining pre-spawn fish are sitting, uh, getting that easy meal. So small baits, little flicker shads, little salmo hornets, little jigs, just small baits fish just an inch or two off bottom cover water we're doing a lot of trolling with lead core um, and that is the trick to catching those fish Chatfield, uh you move to that type fishery same type thing any of the mud flats are holding a lot of fish um, any of the small structure starting to hold some fish from some smaller shad uh, so so good bite there and we also have a tremendous night bite at both fisheries just because that's when the, the easiest meal takes place so you're seeing a lot of fish moving into shallow warm water at night um, and that's a really strong bite the trick to the night bite is chase the warmer water so when it comes to the to the walleye bite at night find where that warmer water's at a lot of times shallower water is obviously going to hold that temperature better it's going to gather that temperature better um so literally when i get out at night like i'm going to go fishing you know probably tonight um and i'm going to go run out there and i'm going to do a quick lap around the lake with my boat and i'm just going to be looking at water temperatures you're just looking at that surface temperature but find that warmest water that's going to gather the youngest gizzard shad that's going to gather the walleyes so kind of keep that in mind those are those tricks but more than anything this time of year cater to those fish, put the bait in their face, make it easy on them. So if your walleye, you know, is cruising around five feet below the surface, I literally want to put my bait four and a half feet down. This is not a time where you expect your fish to come to you. It's not a time where you can, can be lazy. The anglers that are catering to the fish the best are the anglers that are hands down catching the most and the biggest fish on the water right now. I couldn't agree more, and the lead core has always been one of my go-to presentations this time of the year, both pre-spawn and through post-spawn. But, you know, that one thing always comes up, too, there's a lot of people that 
they they don't really understand precision trolling like with lead core snap weights or they don't have the gear for it is there a way that maybe those guys can kind of take advantage of this bite maybe not as efficient but how can they approach it Absolutely, Terry. You know, so like you look at a Cherry Creek, that dam face is closed, uh, you know, basically 4 p.m. to 9 a.m. Uh, and a lot of days they close it all together just because they, they still have nets out. So you, you're obviously you're going to stay off those areas, but there's a lot of areas on all these lakes that have that rocky kind of shoreline, that spawning area that, that those walleyes will sit on. And, you know, in the morning, they'll sit there till 8, 9 in the morning. And then those fish, especially the males, will show back up at three, four o'clock. So I'm not saying you have to night fish, but if you kind of hit the first two or three hours of light and you hit the last two or three hours of light, any of those rip rap kind of rocky shorelines are going to hold fish right now. So you can cast, uh, you know, small shallow running crankbaits. So, you know, little floating stick baits, um, little square bill type baits, little cranks. Um, and you fish the, that shallow rip raft, um, again, away from, from all the Colorado Parks and Wildlife spawning operations. Um, and you're going to catch a lot of walleyes. I went out the other day uh, to Chatfield, fished all the rip raft kind of, you know, going south from the boat dock. All that rocks right there are open, um, and, and we caught a lot of walleye. Now, the biggest trick to those is those fish are sitting, generally speaking, in about 18 inches of water to about four feet of water. So we'll just call it the from four foot to nothing. Um, that's where those walleyes are at. So when you're on the shore, you know, make parallel cast to the shore and that's how you're going to catch those walleyes. if you're on a boat you have to land that bait right on shore and start working it out um but that's going to be the easiest way to catch those fish if you don't have the planer boards you don't have the lead core you don't have the the gear to to do that precision trolling that shoreline bite uh you know on and around those those spawning areas is going to be a great way to catch some fish right now now you talked earlier how you know we had ice on the lakes we had that winter weather and how we've got maybe a a condensed spawning season this year we had maybe a little longer pre-spawn under the ice but it seems like they're really getting after it with this warm weather coming and we're going to get a couple cold days and warm up again do you expect a quick transition to more of a late spring early summer pattern you know, Terry, it's, it's hard to say with how many fish that we're seeing in spawn. I mean, talking to our friends at Parks and Wildlife and how well they're doing with their netting operations so far and just the spawning activity that I've seen. Uh, you know, you go out there at night, and the other day it sounded like it sounded like you were at a, a an aquarium or a pool. There was so much splashing going on with these walleye spawning. I mean, I cruised the shoreline, um, and it was unbelievable to see how much spawn activity I saw. So, obviously, the, the sooner they wrap up, the sooner they move into post-spawn, and, and, and exactly, the sooner you'll see a, a summer pattern. So, it's hard to say, but right now, with the conditions that we have, I don't see anything that's going to slow down and or stop that spawning cycle. So, it, it's been years and years since I've seen this many fish kind of go together and gather for that spawn. So, I would say we'll probably be just a hair early uh, moving into those summer patterns. And I'm not saying it's going to be two weeks early, uh, but generally speaking, we, we always say it's the first week of May when our walleyes are really 100% recovered from spawn uh, and we kind of move into what we'd consider a summer pattern. I think we will start seeing that the last week of April this year uh, or maybe even just a hair sooner. I think we will definitely see at least a handful of fish moving into that a little earlier than normal. Um, but with that said, I also think we're going to have some tremendous bites right now. I, I really like it when 
everything kind of aligns. It just it just makes things a little easier on the on the anglers. Now, if you're not on the pattern, obviously it's tougher. But the the biggest con, you know kind of concept to grasp right now, if you're not catching fish, if you're not on fish, keep changing. Um, so many anglers go out and do the same thing, and they just hope to have different results. If you're not catching, move around, change things up. Um, definitely, because with the fish being grouped, if you're not on them, you're not on them. So don't don't expect anything to change. Move until you find them and change things up until you build a pattern uh, and that's going to be the biggest keys to success last question i have for you we keep hearing about they're going to expand the water levels at chatfield they were going to bring more water in last year and <clears throat> didn't seem to happen too much do you have an idea what's going on is chatfield going to get bigger this year are they bringing a lot of water yeah, in sure. what's going on there Definitely care. You know, I mean, it's as much as anything. Obviously, you know, Chatfield State Park uh, is an entity of that project, but the true, you know, concept behind it is all the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Um, they run in the project. They did the expansion. Everything to do with it is Corps of Engineers, and it's from a water resource management. Now, obviously, up until you know a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, we were not having the the, the greatest, water, greatest water levels. Our winters weren't there. You know, certain areas. Um, we're getting quite a bit of snow, but if you look at it as a whole, uh, it was not the case. And it's kind of crazy studies, but some very in particular drainages were showing that we were, you know, almost approaching 100%. It was good, but the, the same water and snow melt that flows into that was not showing good. So as a whole, we were lacking uh, fairly significantly the water that we were going to need to really bring up all the bodies of water uh, to again eventually lead to Chatfield filling. Uh, but with, obviously within the last month, we've received a ton of snow um i actually will talk to them probably midweek uh, we'll see what that's going but as of right now yes they are planning uh and anticipating to have the water to do that so it's not so much a management of saying we're ready or not it's all a, a situation of having the water to do so um but i do think we're going to see that now i do not know if we're going to see the the full 14 foot expansion so 14 vertical um is it 12 would be normal so 12 would be the highest it would kind of normally sit 14 to be like capacity um i don't know if we're going to see a 12 or 14 vertical foot increase um but i would anticipate seeing in increase maybe uh you know with the water levels that we have a small four six foot type vertical increase but really time will tell once we really watch our numbers here within the next week or so really as we approach the first week of april when we'll see what our numbers truly are uh, and Corps of Engineers can really grasp uh, the, the concepts of what it will be. Yeah, we have to go, Nate, but we'll count on you to keep us posted because that could change how that lake fishes, and it could have a, a, an impact and could have a very positive one, but we'll keep track of all that. Nate, if people want more information, how do they get a hold of you? Absolutely. You can go to our Facebook page, Titan Outdoors, our website. Um, you know, we are on our last, you know, two, three weeks of some incredible lake trout fishing through the ice, incredible pike fishing through the ice. And then obviously we're just getting started with our bass and walleye trips. A lot going on. Check us out on Facebook as well as the website, Tightline Outdoors. All right, my friend. We will talk to you next week and hopefully on a regular basis. We don't get interrupted we'll again. Talk to you soon. <laughs> yeah. All right, Nate. Thanks for joining us. Nate Zelinsky, always a great resource. We're going to take a quick time out. Folks from Jack's Outdoor Gear are going to join us, and we're going to talk fly fishing right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Lost your faith, but that's not where it's at. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, 65 years serving the outdoor public. Speaking of Jack's, let's go right to the phones 
And joining us from the fishing department at the Jackson Fort Collins is Dave Gross. Good morning, Dave. Hi, Terry. Good morning. Isn't it a beautiful day out there? I am so ready for this weather. It's very nice. I wish I was out there. I'll tell you what, we, um, you and I talk on a pretty regular basis. We've covered a lot of different aspects of fishing, and you really enjoy all the different aspects. We've been talking a lot about conventional fishing, the lakes opening up and boating, but another aspect of fishing is really probably going to get jump-started here. Before the main runoff starts, we're going to see a lot of great fly fishing in the rivers, I think, don't you? Yes. Yeah. The flows are still pretty low, but fishing is picking up, and it's going to keep getting better. So what are you hearing out there in places like, I know you like to keep track of the pooter and some of those, and maybe the big T. Are, are people catching fish? How are they doing it? It's mainly still nymphing, whether you're doing a dry dropper, a dry fly, like a chubby Chernobyl with a beadhead zebra below it, or doing your nymph rig with an indicator or euro nymphing. Uh, it's mainly small flies right now, zebra midges, poison tongues. Um, betas are just now starting to move around, so small bluing olive nymphs like a RS2 or any of the John Bars mayflies are fishing very well right now. Is it kind of a stealth fishing? You said the the runoff is still low, so I would think it's probably pretty clear, skinny water. Do you have to really pay attention? Yeah, you got to take your time, walk quietly, long leaders, six, sometimes even seven X tippet. And it's usually more your presentation than the flies you're using. Well, I couldn't agree with you more on that. You know, I... I hear all the time somebody goes, you know, I cut two hackles off my fly and it sat down in the surface film a little bit and I finally got a fish. Well, you probably finally got a good drift over an active fish is what happened. Presentation is so important, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's the most important thing. Are you hearing anything about any of the other rivers, South Platte, the Big T? Uh, Big Thompson's running about 25 CFS coming out of Lake Estes. Pretty much all open, except for a couple of the shady sections. And it's kind of the same as the pooter. Stealthy, small flies. Betas are starting to hatch. Pretty soon the stone flies, the salmon fly, the pteranarsis will start start moving around, and then we'll be able to fish some bigger flies. Now, is the... Weather warms. We're going to get a pretty good warm stretch. Get a few days here, then it's cool. Then it's going to get warm for an extended period. Um, do you expect to start seeing maybe a little more colored water, a little higher flows, and will you have to change your tactics? Yeah, that's that's going to happen. And then here on the pooter, we're going to be worried about the fire, um, what that looks like, and how much of that comes in from last year, how bad that makes the water. So how do you approach it? Say you're headed up there and we get this warm. Well, you're thinking it's clear. You get up there and all of a sudden it's uh, it's maybe not major runoff where it's blowing out, but now it's a little muddier. Do you upsize your flies? Do you go to a little different type of presentation? Yes. I'm going to go bigger flies. I might even put uh egg pattern, a bright egg pattern on there. I'm going to concentrate more towards the bank where the water is going to be a little bit slower and might be a little bit clearer. 
Um, so I'm going to be trying to keep in that water that's as low as a foot to four foot deep and try to work that. Yeah, people, you know, they think once the water gets colored, the fish quit eating. That's not the case. It's just that it's harder for them to find your presentation, and they, they set up in different places in the river. Let's switch gears here a minute. Suppose I'm, there's a lot of people that are getting back into the outdoors, and fly fishing is one of those things that a lot of people are taking up for the first time in their life. If I decide I want to try fly fishing this year, I've really been enjoying getting outdoors again. Uh, how much money do I have to spend to get started? Now, one of my pet peeves is somebody goes and they buy one of these whippy fiberglass um, inexpensive rods, and it's not a very good experience. They can't handle the line, and they don't, they don't make good casts, and it's, there's no feel. And then the flip side is they buy a $1,000 fly rod, and they're not nearly a proficient enough caster to handle that tight rod to make that tool work you really need some good quality medium action fly rods what do you what do you have and how much do i have to spend yeah a lot of people think that you gotta spend a lot of money but you can get a really good fly rod and reel for two hundred dollars two hundred twenty five dollars um, but just like you said the all's a cheap rod fiberglass rod old school fiberglass there's new modern fiberglass that are nice but your cheap ones they're just going to frustrate you um so yeah for 200 bucks you can you can get a rod and rail with a fly line a leader attached and then you can spend another 40 bucks on some extra tippet flies floating split shot indicators and you're set for less than 300 dollars. what brands of rods are those we've got um Two different combos from Reddington. One's 170, the other one's 200, called the Path. I really like the Path. And even more, I like the uh, Temple Fork Outfitters. It's called the NXT. And we've got that. That only comes in a five weight and an eight weight, but the five weight for around here is your most versatile size. Um, so you can get that for $220. Yeah, so and that's everything. That's if I'm not mistaken, those kits have your fly rod, your reel, your fly line. You don't have leaders and flies, I don't think, but they come pretty well set up, don't they? Yeah, there's there's actually a leader attached to the fly line, but you still need to add the rest and then add water. Yeah, if you really get going for inexpensive, it used to be people would get frustrated because to get a decent rod, you had to spend 500 to to 1000 bucks, and they didn't start fly fishing. And not only these rods are great starter rods, these are rods you can fish with your whole life, aren't they? Yes, they are. Yep. Uh, the technology has come a long ways, and the materials they use and source and the way they build them, so it's, it's gotten less expensive. Now, if I come into a jack store, I want to get one of these. What about the other stuff, the flies you mentioned, the tippet, things like that? Do you guys have good supplies of all that? Yes, right now we do. We're in good shape on um, everything. Um, we'll see how long that lasts. I don't want to sound negative, but um, hopefully the supply chain keeps moving and everything keeps coming in. Well, we've got a window right now before the runoff really blows out, and then it's going to get a little difficult. And then it probably, with the amount of snow we're looking at, depending on the weather, it could be difficult up into the middle of June or more. But 
probably got two, three weeks of some really decent good weather and good fly fishing. So I would say people get the jacks, get one of these outfits, and I'll bet you'd help them pick up a bunch of flies too, right? We sure would. And, you know, even when the runoff's going on, um, fishing the ponds and the lakes, and it's not just trout fishing, catching bluegill and bass with the fly rod is a lot of fun. Now, you know what? I couldn't agree more, and we're going to talk a lot about that still water fly fishing as we get closer to runoff, and it's good right now. A lot of times it's the best way to catch a crappie that's kind of suspended or something. It's a great way to fish. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Great information. All right. Thank you, Terry. Have a good you bet. That's day. Da- you bet. That's Dave Gross from the um, Jack's right here in Fort Collins on North College. Stop by and say hi to him. He's a wealth of information, and you'll be amazed about the equipment they've got and how well they can take care of you. We're going to take a quick time out. we come back, Chad Lachance is going to join us, and we're going to talk about getting your boat ready on Terry Wixom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Seeger. Great, great music. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us is Chad Lachance from The Fishful Thinker. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. It is a beautiful day up in our part of the country, and I understand we're going to have some really nice weather. And with some boat ramps open and some more opening soon, We're going to see a lot of people getting in their boats and heading out for the first time. And I think the best thing you could do is just hook it up to your truck, go out there, dump it in the water, and see if it starts, right? Absolutely. That's what I highly recommend first. Um, Get it all crossed up on the boat ramp. Don't forget that. And, uh, yeah, leave the straps (laughs) on it, all that. No, jokes aside, Terry, it's funny because every single year uh, when the boat ramps open, our boat ramps here and my reservoirs at Horseshoe and Carter Lake are opening April 1st. Every year there's people on the boat ramp and their stuff won't work for whatever reason. And it's so simple to go through a basic, you know, series of tests and check a few common problem areas out in the garage or at the house before you go to the lake to save yourself a whole bunch of brain damage when you get to the lake and and frustration and everything else. So, you know, the first thing, there's a couple obvious things, Terry, that I think everyone, we all have problems with it. If you you haven't had problems with it, you haven't been a boater very long, and that's your batteries. Um, you know, a modern fishing boat has sometimes four or five batteries, very commonly at least two batteries in it. And those batteries do not like wintertime in Colorado. And so there's a couple things you got to do to them, first of all. Uh, some people leave them on a trickle charger all winter or leave them on a you know an intermittent charger all winter, and that's fine. Uh, it'll probably make sure they're charged, but it may also get a lot of the water cooked out of them. So before I'm ever going to launch a boat that hasn't been you know, it's been stored all winter. I'm going to check the batteries for fluid level, and I'm going to make sure they're fully topped off charge-wise because even a trickle charger will not top off a deep-cycle battery, so your trolling motor batteries. So you got to keep track of the batteries. While you're in there working on the batteries, check any available fuses that you can see right there as well, and look for mouse chewing. Unfortunately, mice and squirrels love boats. And whether it's stored in your garage, I'm fighting mice problems inside my garage right now. So whether it's stored in your garage or it's outside, whatever it is, rodents love boats. So make sure that your wiring hasn't been chewed. I generally will start the entire electrical system in the boat and make sure, even if it's only been stored for a month, I'll run the whole system in the boat, make sure the bilge pumps will turn on. Make sure that the the live well pumps will turn on. Make sure that the live well will, or the uh, trolling motor will turn on. 
and do what it's supposed to do. Uh, check all of that stuff before you get to the lake, because once you get to the lake, you don't have your tools. You've got your family there, the whole nine yards. It's not a good place to find out. Uh, another thing, besides the electrical system in the boat, which I check from one end to the other, uh, the next thing I'm going to do is always put the motor on a set of water muffs and start it and make sure that the motor will run. If you've got a hose and some of the muffs, I would let it run for 10 or 15 minutes and let it come up to operating temperature. Check for any fuel leaks, anything that rotted over the winter. All of a sudden, you're smelling gas. Better to find that in your garage than on the lake. Uh, so I'll put it on a set of muffs and run the boat for a while. Let it come up to temperature. If I can't, if I don't have a set of muffs or I can't do, you know, can't take care of getting the run, motor running there, I'll at least bump it. Make sure it turns over correctly. Do not run your boat without water running through it for any length of time. But I will at least bump it. Make sure it'll turn over. And in that case, before I dump it off the trailer on the boat ramp, I'm going to leave it all the way on the trailer and back it into the water and up to where the, the motor's in the water and then start it there before I even go forward with trying to get it off the trailer. Because a, a boat is a nightmare to get back on the trailer once it won't start. The other thing I'll check in the driveway is the trim. Make sure the boat will trim up and down. If you have a jack plate, make sure the jack plate will run its full range of motion. If you're a bass boat, I had a power pole fail. Uh, in the middle of winter time, put power poles down, bring them up, make sure that everything's working like it should. And in a modern boat, you may check that all your Bluetooth and all that is still connected. So you're not messing with it on the lake as well. But just getting started with those few things alone will make sure you're not the broke down guy at the ramp right off the bat. No, I couldn't agree more. And about starting it with the muffs, I, I always do that. Or like you said, even if I go a few weeks, um, I always tend to start my boat on the trailer before I move it, because you're absolutely right. If something has gone wrong, uh, it's just a bear to get a, a heavy boat back on a trailer. It's uh, you, especially in cold water, because you're probably going to have to get in the water, try to find a way to hook it up and winch it, and you're going to get a lot of angry looks from other people at the boat ramp. Absolutely, you're gonna, and maybe even your wife or your kids. I mean, uh, all that yard, you know, no other boaters are going to be happy when you're when you spend an hour trying to get your boat on the ramp. And like you said, water's going to be cold when the ramp's open here at Horse Tooth. Water's going to be like forty-two degrees. That's going to be really cold for getting around and wading in the water. So that's another thing. If you're going to launch your boat early in the season like this, and you know there's a chance you may need water or you may need to get water, make sure you bring something to stay dry because the water is not anywhere near warm enough to wade in, even up to your knees for any length of time. So that's another thing I want to look for. Another thing, too, um, along those similar lines is to make sure that um, you have all your safety equipment in the boat. And it, that's one of those things, oh, yeah, well, it's in there. Well, I know a guy that got a ticket because the seams were blown on one of his life jackets. Life jacket was old. The seams had come apart, and they wrote him a ticket for it because it was not serviceable condition. So make sure that your throwable is there. Make sure it's reachable wherever it's supposed to be. Make sure that your life jackets, your PFDs are in there and that they're rated for the size of the people you're going to have in the boat. Don't be putting a little kid in an adult life jacket or vice versa. Uh, very important that you have those things available as well. And then another thing I do is I go through and make sure that, particularly early in the season, I have available to me uh, at least a basic set of tools in the truck or in the boat such that if something minor comes wrong, Screws come loose in boats horribly. I don't know why, but boats vibrate screws loose terribly. So if you have time, go through and check all the, the requisite screws, the jack plate screws, the engine mount bolts, the trolling motor screws. I do that on my boat as a matter of routine once a month anyway. 
but and I, but I fish a lot too. But but still, even if it's a you know a weekend guy that doesn't use his boat very often, just going through and snugging everything up would be really important. I would also check the trailer lights, make sure the trailer lights work or the brakes haven't seized. Water or air pressure in the tires, very important on that. Uh, check those as well because they've been sitting all winter in the garage. Now you're going to tell them to wait. The tires going to get hot on the way there. Not a good plan. So I would check that too. Very important and make sure you're good there. And then, you know, last, you know, beyond that, Terry, there's one more thing I want to throw out there. There's a lot of new boaters. Uh, you alluded to it. The boat ramp is not the place to find any of this out. We have limited boat ramp space to a large degree in Colorado. I mean, Horses got a four-lane wide ramp. Rarely do people have the skills to use it four lanes wide. Usually it takes people two lanes or so. But understand that the ramp itself is going to be crowded when there's 15 boats in line. So make sure that you've got everything done in the prep lane. Get your kids, your coolers, your tackle, all of that stuff inside the boat in the prep lane. Get the straps off the boat, the cover off the boat, all of that. Get that done at the prep lane before you ever occupy a space on the ramp. And then go on the ramp when you're absolutely ready to launch the boat and get out of the way. Everybody will be happier for you. Um, one other quick thing, and this is a relatively new thing. Um, we saw it last year. The ANS inspection lines get really clogged up early in the year because, for one, the inspectors are new. And they're really trying to be thorough because they don't, you know, they're learning about the boats and everything else. They're typically seasonal employees. So the inspectors are new, and then you'll get people that aren't aware of how important it is to not have water in your boat if you want to go boating. So if there's any chance of water anywhere in your boat, down the bilge or anywhere else, dry it at home, or you will clog up the ANS inspection line for a long period of time, and uh, and you'll ruin your first day of boating. So be very thorough and honest with yourself about whether there's water in your boat. If you find any, don't justify to yourself, well, that's just rainwater. They don't care where it came from. All they care is that there's water in your boat or residue on your hull or whatever the case might be. So check that thoroughly ahead of time. And that's where we saw the single biggest frustrations last year were at the A&S line and then people pulling the boat ramp that weren't ready or whose boats wouldn't run. Hey, we just got a text on the text line, and it said, for those of you that are new boaters, practice backing up your boat trailer before you go to the lake. <laughs> That's a whole nother topic, and I'm 100% agreement with whoever sent that in. Uh, we could do a whole show on that. In fact, we're talking about here at Fishful Thinker of putting together a class for wives to teach people. Uh, or, to, or for men, for anyone, but to, to put together a way to teach people to back a trailer efficiently, back a boat trailer specifically. Uh, I believe that, that, that your wife, Karen, has done some of those in the past. It's very, very important you learn that ahead of time. Plus, that's a good skill to have at your garage or at a gas station or anywhere else if you're going to drive around town with a boat. But learning how to back it is very important uh, from the safety standpoint, from the efficiency standpoint. Plus, you look cool at the ramp. Yeah, and Karen used to teach a class called Women Making Waves, and it was just about that. You know, and where I'll tell you where it comes into play, how often do you see there's two or three people in a boat, but only one of the people is capable of running the boat and of backing the vehicle? So if the docks are full, or even if they're not and you tie up, you occupy that space for a long time, or if you have one person that can back up the, the truck and one that can drive the boat, you drop somebody off at the dock, you pull back, you leave the dock open, they drive the boat, put the trailer in the water, you load the boat and gone, and you're only taking up one lane and only for a short period of time. Last but not least, Chad, before we let you go, um, on the uh, 
water level at Horsetooth. I haven't had a chance to drive out and check it. I know that you live right on the lake. What do you see in there? What do you think it's going to be when they open? Well, I got some information from uh, Northern Colorado Water of where it's going to top out for the year, which I don't think is going to change. It's going to be within about five or eight feet of full at the when it tops out. As it sits right now, it's about 75% full. Um, just looking at it, I'm looking at the lake right now, and I've got a pretty good gauge on markers. I would say it's in the 54-15 range on 54-30 is full, maybe 54-10 range right now, and 5,430 feet is, is flood stage. So the water's running in hard right now from all the creeks all the way around the outside of the lake because we're getting this massive amount of snow. This particular valley got a ton of snow, twice as much as you got in town. And uh, and so we've got water running everywhere. So it's coming up in a hurry right now, like eight or ten inches a day, which is a lot for this lake. Uh, but that'll slow down a little bit when the snow melt comes off, and ultimately it'll turn the switch off at the same time. The one thing I really expect that's going to that's going to be slow this year is the water temperature. I walked the western side of the lake. Uh, all the coves are frozen completely solid. The stuff behind my house is frozen completely solid. So the main lake is maybe half open as of yesterday. But I believe we're going to be real slow warming up this year with the amount of snow that's on the hillsides around here and the amount of ice that's still in the coves. All right, my friend, we're out of time. But if people want to get a hold of you or more information, where do they find you? At Fishful Thinker across all social media platforms and uh, including the website, fishfulthinker.com. And we are booking guide trips like mad right now. We'd love to take you fishing. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Terry. Have a great day. You bet, Chad LaChance, always a great resource. We're going to take a quick time out, and then we're going to wrap things up here. I'm going to tell you how you can participate in our trivia and win some great prizes on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. It's all, right. It's all right, Kyle. We're going to talk about this choice of song on the off the air. and No catering to Dan Jacobs. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to wrap things up. A couple things I do want to tell you really quickly. Um, with this weather changing, a lot of people are going to be getting outside, so make sure you're courteous to everybody and um, and have an enjoyable time. But if you're going to go fishing, remember your fishing license expires if you had an annual in just a couple of days unless you bought a new one. They're good for a year. This is the perfect time to buy your fishing license. And just practice good outdoor etiquette with everybody. Also, we're going to start trivia. Trivia is going to start, again, officially in two weeks. Karen will post uh, the answer on Facebook, not this coming week, but the week after that. And then we will have a question. So it behooves you to follow us on Facebook so that you can get a great chance at some great trivia prizes. They're almost always worth $50 or more. And we're going to start again in two weeks. Now, speaking of trivia, we happen to have the all-time trivia champion. Well, he never really won, but he thinks he did. Dan Jacobs in studio. Is that right, Dan? Well, thank you. By uh, by the way, I was going to say, uh, I don't know if I'm going to say it now because you had a semi-nice introduction, but good God, Terry Wickstrom, fly rod snob on the program. I was listening on the way in. Man, cut some guys some slack, would you? You're what do like, you mean? Oh, oh, these guys out there with their cheap fly rods. Oh, but then we have these guys out there with their really expensive fly rods. Can we appease the great grand Terry Wickstrom with the perfect middle-of-the-road fly rod? I mean, what does it take to are, satisfy you, were, you, Terry? 
if you were really listening, you'd know that's exactly what we were saying, that the middle of the road is where you should go, that the really, really cheap ones don't work well, you'll be frustrated, and you don't need to spend the money on the really expensive ones until you get more advanced, and then you can think about it. But a good middle-of-the-road one will last your entire life. You know, if, obviously you weren't really listening <laughs> or was, you'd have known that. I was, that. just like, good God, this guy's, uh, man, what a snob when it comes to the fly rods. No, no, I'm about making sure people have a really good time and don't get frustrated. Unlike people are going to be with Denver's defense for the Broncos if they don't fill that middle linebacker spot. You know, everybody everybody wants a quarterback change, and we may or may not get that. But I think either way, the defense is going to have to carry this team if it's going to do anything this year. And we talk about what a genius Vic Fangio is, but he's never had a really good, successful time with his system unless he had a premier middle linebacker and we don't have that yeah, it, yeah that's true terry it's good analysis but the, the fact of the matter is once you look at what kyle shanahan did yesterday their team was in the super bowl what two years ago um and they they and they got rid of their quarterback look at what uh, sean McVay did with the rams and they were in the super bowl three years ago the fact of the matter is this is all a joke at what even George Payton's doing. He's repackaging the same losing formula that John Elway has did. Okay, so they added Kyle Fuller. Outside of that, all they did was re-sign the same crap that got them into the worst streak in franchise history, NFL franchise history and then say, look how great we've done. Oh, we've rebuilt Vic Fangio's defense for him, and we've added Kyle Fuller. And meanwhile, they still don't have a quarterback. Um, it's all the same repackaged nonsense, and they're going to try and sell it to the, you know, sell it. And meanwhile, you have team, two teams that have been to the Super Bowl recently, recently saying, we have got to get better. We're making bold, dramatic moves, and we've had success. And, and George Payton, our new Wonder Boy, Wonderkin uh, GM, who's supposed to save this team, uh, is repackaging the same old garbage. We're in trouble. Well, you know what, Dan? We're out of time, but maybe after I leave, you'll tell the truth that you really aren't that passionate about this. There we go. <laughs> no, it sounds like you got a lot to talk about. We'll wrap this up so you can get to your show. I don't want to steal any time from you. You get mad about that. <laughs> oh, there we go, Terry. Good show. Good show. I hope you learned how to fish today because it was a phenomenal show. Uh, I hope you learn. I hope you really listen next week before you comment. <laughs> We're going to wrap things up. Remember, follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, to. Uh, Get the answer to trivia. You're going to win some great prizes starting in a couple weeks. And you should follow us anyway. We put videos up there. We put podcasts. We put fishing reports. I want to thank Kyle for keeping us on the air and Karen for keeping the show going. And thank you all for listening. Join us next week. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour. And Dan Jacobs on 104.3 The Fan.